For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Happy New Year! From the Big Six Podcast, do you like that sound? Wow, turn your volume down. I know, I'm sorry. If I blew out your uh, speakers... I should have been further away. Hello, everybody. It's the Pick 6 Podcast. Uh, Sam McEwen along here with Evan Bland, the silver tongue. <laughs> Tom Chattel is in Hawaii. So it's just a two-man crew this week. Tom will be back next week, uh, probably to dish about Nebraska basketball, which had a nice win on uh, Wednesday night. We're talking to you on a Thursday. Huskers just beat Indiana 86-70. to They played Wisconsin on Saturday, and they played number one Purdue next week. Tuesday. Chattel will be back after that. So we'll have a we'll have a full podcast with him next week. Evan, happy new year. Happy New Year, Sam. And early happy birthday. Oh, thanks. I'm still in the thirties. So I thought a, you were still in your twenties. That's oh well thank you. Yeah. In my head, I'm still in my twenties. But yeah. In, in the thirties, it's a new year. And here we are, doing doing the same thing. Uh with with maybe some f- different vigor and energy. Who knows where it'll go. Oh, I'm excited. I'm glad the calendar has turned. 2023 was an interesting football season. We have one more game for the 2023 season. Washington, Michigan. I got both of them right. Nice job. I got the two CFP picks right. You ended up beating me, I think, by two for the whole season. You got a couple more bowl picks than I did. Um, I took some chances. Uh, I took Wisconsin. They lost. I took Iowa. They really lost. They did. Um, So anyway, I got a couple of those wrong. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm 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 really excited. It's uh, you can already feel the expansion of the college football playoff is upon us, and it will change everything about the sport. Um, once you now have 12 teams that can say they achieved their number one goal, right, right, which is making that thing. Now, once you get in it, yeah, you want to win the national title. But every single year, there's going to be a benchmark, and that benchmark is to be one of the 12 or one of the 11, since. The uh, the twelfth team each year gets to be the, you know, uh, the raffle, the lottery team uh, from the group of five that got absolutely crushed yep. in the bowl games this year, and they will get absolutely crushed in the CFP going forward for as long, I guess, as the CFP includes one of those lottery teams. Um, but yeah, I thought we would talk a little bit about the transfer portal today. Nebraska's got some visitors coming. Um, yeah, maybe we can talk, uh, obviously, Michigan-Washington, what we saw in the bowl games on Monday, but also what we think we're going to see next Monday. Uh, and then it's just, you know, Nebraska football in this moment. Uh, there, there's obviously still things to be figured out, still things to be done. We can talk about those things next week, too. Uh, but but I, think there's, I think there's things to discuss uh, just about where the program's at. We're going to have our season in review starting next week. We want to kind of wait and see where the portal shook out. And uh, so we'll, we'll, we can kind of review a little bit, and we can also look ahead. Um, let us start with this. Okay, so it's a transfer portal weekend. Nebraska's got, uh, look at this. We have an autoplay on ESPN where I was looking at the line. I don't know what that ad was. Probably a Buick ad. <laughs> That's usually what the ad is. On Big ESPN. ribbon on top, yeah. Yeah, you know, a golf ad or something like that. Yeah, probably that. 
Anyway, oh, it, it's yeah, it's a, it's an ad. So it's a transfer portal weekend. Uh, Nebraska still is looking to add at a couple of spots, and uh, running back, receiver, linebacker. Doesn't appear to be quarterback at this moment, no. but you just never know what what might appear. Uh, what can you tell us about the groups that, that that's coming in, and, and maybe what Nebraska's looking for? Yeah, I mean, you you hit on the kind of the areas that they're looking for. Um, I, I think it's notable that they're bringing in multiple receivers and multiple linebackers. Like you don't, I don't think you do that unless you are as Nebraska cool with saying, yeah, we're going to take both of these guys if they want to come here. Certainly, I think that's true at the receiver spot where, you know, a couple interesting guys coming in. Uh, I think when you look at what Nebraska's done out of the portal at that spot over the last few years, and, and they've hit on guys like Samari Toure and Trey Palmer and Billy Kemp, I think Jamal Banks sort of fits that mold if mm. he were to come here. Yeah. Sort of reminds me a little bit of Marcus Washington, kind of versatile guy. Uh but just a veteran at what he's done, more than 100 career catches. The only reason he's even still in play is because of the COVID year. So somebody who would bring a lot of uh, a lot of experience to a group that at that wide receiver spot is going to have nine fre- true freshmen or red sh- or second year players next season. So they need someone to be a leader there. Uh, and then Isaiah Nayor, who was at PBA for the basketball game Wednesday night, he's a really interesting one too. Everyone talks about him as a Texas transfer. He played eight snaps at Texas over the course of two years. He was hurt in 2022, and then he just never kind of found that role here this past season. He was mostly a backup. But the thing that stands out about him is, I mean, he's he is a big play personified. He's got 50, I think 52 career catches. He's averaging 21 yards per catch. And you look at his highlights at, at Wyoming, um, he's either catching deep balls or he's catching short passes and making a play and breaking free of defenders so a little bit different I think receivers in terms of their skill sets but both veteran guys um, you know who, who, who could step right in absolutely and contend to be contributors to that spot and then <clears throat> you know Dante Dowdle who, who's probably the headliner of that particular receiver of, of that visitor group coming in I think he gives them a chance to make up for <clears throat> maybe what they lost with Kwan Lacey and, and his departure from the class in October. Um, maybe that makes up a little bit for A.J. Allen and his departure a couple years ago, who was a young guy that they like. But you watch his tape, he's he looks like a Big Ten back, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, he's, he's big-bodied. He can run through defenders, can run around defenders, has the recruiting pedigree, all the rest. So that's somebody that you feel like could could come in right away and contend for that running back spot. Um, so those are those are some of the guys. We could talk about the, the linebackers, too, if you want, but... Well, you know, Stephon Thompson is one of them. He played for uh, Tony White at Syracuse. And then Zri, is that how you X-ray. say X-Ray. Alexander, who was a linebacker at Idaho. He's an FCS transfer. Um, just talking about that position specifically, I think Nebraska has a need at that inside linebacker spot. Um, that's the off-the-ball linebacker If for people that are kind of thinking about what that means. Uh, a lot of times those guys have freedom of uh, movement, range of movement. They kind of make plays behind that front line. Um, they need to be able to run sideline to sideline. I think right now, you know, Nebraska uh, is probably looking at John Bullock and Makai Bayer and Javen Wright as their as their three starters with Nick Henrich and Luke Reimer, uh, uh, you know, graduating uh, effectively. 
Uh, and then you know, maybe Kane Williams is coming along, a guy that they wanted to be good, I think it was Eric Fields. He left the team. Yep. Uh, and then you have Dylan Rogers. I don't know exactly where they want Dylan Rogers. He's kind of a thicker guy, so maybe he's going to be a jack. Uh, but, you know, linebacker is, is a position where when you get the right guys there, they're probably going to start three or four years. And they, they, they got the right guy in Ernest Hausman, and he transferred. Right. He went to Michigan. He's going to play for the national championship. Played pretty well, actually, against Alabama. Uh, if Hausman's still there, I, I, I think they're probably fine, and they're not going to go out and get somebody else. But he transferred. And some of the other guys just haven't been hits. I mean, we have to we have to be really honest about that. Um, you know, Reimer and Henrich were in the 2019 class, and they were still the starters. And Javen Wright was in the 2019 class, and this is kind of his third position, fourth position. And so they really haven't between then and now, and they haven't hit much. Uh, Bayer, you know, has kind of moved around. Now they're gonna. I think you know he was a little bit at a jack. Now maybe he'll may play a little middle. Um, in Nebraska's defense, you have to be able to have quality drops uh, as a as a as a pass defender. I wouldn't have described that as the strength of either one of the guys that just left. So I think they want to get better there. Um, you know, especially when you're in zone coverage. But a lot of times, linebackers are not in man. Uh, they're in they're in sort of a man zone. You know, you play man behind it. A lot of times your, your linebackers are, are responsible for dropping into a zone, which when the guy is in their zone, they play man. It's a matchup zone. Um, sometimes they do that. Sometimes they do other things. Um, they probably get better there. So I think that'll be something to watch. Uh, no guarantees when you add a guy. Thompson's obviously very developed and would understand Tony White's defense is probably advantageous. Uh, the, the Oregon running back is interesting to me. Because he is a heavy hitter, downhill back, what two twenty five? Yeah, and that's probably where Nebraska needed to add a player. Gabe Irvin, hard to know if he's going to be a hundred percent by spring camp. Hard to know if he's going to be a hundred percent by June. Uh, I think that's something that Nebraska is going to have to assess and and address with the media, and obviously see where Gabe's at. So Dowdell can come in, I think, and potentially get a rotational playing time almost immediately. Sure. You know, Emmett Johnson's probably earned something there. I know they like Quentin Ives, and they're bullish on him. And I'm curious to see what they do with Ramir Johnson. You know, can you make Ramir a slot guy? Can you make him that now? Is he is he willing to go out there because you don't want to hurt him again and get him banged up again, which he has been throughout his career playing in between the tackles because he's 183-pound back running between the tackles. Can you get him out there in space and make him a receiver? I have my question marks about that because if he could have done it, I think they would have done it already. I think his elusiveness, he doesn't have necessarily a ton of uh, shake. I think he's actually a tough downhill back who happens to be undersized and has a lot of elite speed, straight line speed. Right. And I think Corey Barney is going to be your guy out there at the slot. So we'll see what they do with Ramirez Johnson. But that's, I think, where it's at in terms of the portal. Uh, they don't really have spots, quote-unquote, on their roster. Uh, our scholarship distribution chart says they're, I think, at 95 
So there's invariably going to be some players who leave. I don't know when they're going to leave. They don't really have spots per se, but we also don't know how many of these guys are on an NIL deal or right. coming in on one thing or another. How many guys may have to leave once they graduate soon, you know, and whether that's in May or, or in August. Yeah, and for people that kind of follow it casually, sometimes the scholarship thing can be tricky because guys may go on for a semester or for a year, and then they may come off, or it may have been agreed upon that they stay on. Uh, a guy like Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, who entered the portal and came back, like in theory, could be a walk-on, but we don't really know. Like it's there's a lot of a lot of uh, I don't know creative creativity that can go into how you sure. how there you manage that. Um, yeah, I, I think big picture too, especially on the offensive side, like the idea that Nebraska is going to make room or would like to make room for two receivers for a running back. I think just adds to this idea that like you got to surround whoever your quarterback is, maybe Dylan Raiola, with as much offensive, uh, you know, complementary skilled guys as you can. Yeah. I mean, you think back to everyone's going to compare if if it's Raiola, everyone's going to compare his experience to Adrian Martinez's experience in twenty eighteen, and they had a couple pieces in twenty eighteen. J.D. Spielman, Stanley Morgan, and good pieces, and, and Divine Ziggo. better pieces than they have now. Absolutely, yeah. But they Let's still, as as things went on, they still had to run him, and and ultimately Nebraska ran the heck out of its quarterbacks, whether it was That's Martinez true. or That's whoever true. else, yeah. Because you can't, they didn't feel like they could trust anybody else in right. those big spots, and so like you can't have that with Ryle. You you can't, and I don't think they intend to, but you can't run him into the ground. You got to have those pieces around him, and I think this particular group of visitors coming this week really accentuates this idea that like you can't have enough depth around Royal and let him distribute, let him use that arm talent. Um, but he can't be utilized the way that Nebraska's utilized quarterbacks for a long time. Yeah. If you run him 170 times the next season, I think you're going to run him off. I just don't think that's what he's envisioning. I'm not saying that he wouldn't run it six to eight times a game, but if you multiply six times 12, that's 72. You know, and that's different than 155. You also have a quarterback on your team, and Heinrich Harburg, who's more than willing to do those things, and is probably better at it. I think people have thrown the baby out with the bathwater a little bit with Harburg, because I think Chubba Purdy probably did have the best performance of the year at quarterback against Wisconsin. Not against Iowa, but against Wisconsin. And I think people thought, well, Chubba Purdy is going to be the future here. You know, we, let's go get a transfer quarterback. But my goodness, I mean, Chubba looks like he's got a future. And then Chubba transfers. And I think everybody's over here looking, well, Heinrich Harburg is this, this, and this. And there's still things about Heinrich Harburg that I think good tools, good kid, uh, oh, good yeah. head for the game, sure, good personality, good character. This is not a guy that – and so the one thing that I would say is he appears to be all in – based on that radio interview he gave um, with the Grand Island folks. Uh, they do a great job out there. Um, he appears to be all in, and that's not – so that would be the one difference between 2018 and this year is that Tristan Jebbia wasn't all in and Patrick O'Brien wasn't all in. Patrick O'Brien left during spring camp. Yep. Tristan Jebbia left right before the season. The week before, yeah. And I don't think Harburg's going to do that. Now, if he may leave after spring, I don't know that for sure, but but I think Harburg's going to stick it out. And so you have a much more experienced quarterback there. And you may not love all the things about Heinrich Harburg, 
but he he brought the team to a cusp of a bowl game, and then he got hurt. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just banged up. And so I think I think you can if you can live with three scholarship quarterbacks if that's what you have to do, plus a Luke Longval. But I wonder if they're going to go after one anyway. Kind of reminds me of uh, Luke McCaffrey a few years ago, except you know Luke McCaffrey transfers and ends up having a great career as a receiver at, at Rice, and that right. where he ended up. So like, I feel like Heinrich Herberg is 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 maybe sort of in that vein, except he's willing to to do whatever here. I mean, he caught a pass in the opener against Minnesota. Uh, there was a lot of talk in the spring about him being sort of an H-back or whatever, and, and that didn't didn't pan out. Um, but it is, it, it's weird that he's like the, the experienced guy now with two true freshmen in the room. So um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I still think, like, if I'm Nebraska, I still think you, you want to add – Somebody, but like, who who do you add out of the portal? Because by nature, those guys are in the portal looking for playing time, looking for an opportunity. And if you're Nebraska, you're selling, hey, come be the safety net, come be a backup guy for a year or two. I think you can you can sell that. I mean, whoever it is is going to make six figures and be treated really well, and and maybe have a, a good inside track to a coaching career someday. The way this staff operates, but. You know, it's just hard because, like, like again, guys don't go in the portal to be backups somewhere else. They're going I there for Spencer something Petrus else. I was Spencer is in the portal. What about him? <sighs> sure. He spent a year on injured reserve. I still think Casey Thompson makes a ton of sense. Sure. I mean, Seventh-year guy. If he's like, willing to well, do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. But, like, he's a seventh-year guy. What, what are you really trying to do at this point? Make a little more money? Get a head start in your career? Maybe a little... Uh, little tape for an NFL shot. Who knows? Like, I think those guys do exist, but it's a lot harder than, um, you know, obviously selling playing time to somebody. I just think the, the, the thing I would say about Casey is that Casey is, can be a starter somewhere. He could. Like, I think he could, not everywhere, but like JT Daniels is moving on from Rice. Casey could start Rice, you know? Like, he could do that. I don't know that Spencer Petras can physically hold up for a whole season, but he's there. He's in the portal. I just brought his name out of a hat, by yeah. the way. I have no inside information there. But who do you think is going to be coaching these quarterbacks in, in a month's time? Well, I mean, you hear the name Glenn Thomas out there, that who, who worked with Rule previously. That's right. someone that makes sense. Uh, Rule has a history of promoting from within. So Adam DeMichael is a name that, that makes sense too. I mean, he's been involved with that position as an analyst. Glenn Thomas is the quarterbacks coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? So their season will be over in a couple of weeks, week or two. Well, it's going to be over this weekend. I think maybe, maybe so. Probably I think they'll lose to Baltimore. Probably so. But Adam DeMichael, I think, is one to watch. And if it's not him, like I don't know, it could be anybody. We'll see. I think that comes to light when the NFL season ends, and that. Coaching carousel churns. Um, the interesting thing to me is, like, what has Dylan Rayola and his camp been told about what that looks like? They've been told something. I sure. I mean, clearly, yeah, if they're I here and they're was, committed yeah, and they're I think in. They've been told something. So yeah. I think they kind of have a sense of it, but I don't know that there's going to be, like, you know, I think all of them, all the quarterbacks have a sense of it. It just hasn't been executed because I, I think there's, you know, dominoes that need to tip. Yeah. Do you have a sense of, like, how firm that plan is? Like, there's clearly a, a general idea. And as, as you I know think from that, your question, yeah, I mean, that I think, rule I think they, about it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's, there's got to be 
um, a sincere conversation about how you want to execute that when you have an offensive coordinator who can literally coach every other position on the team. There are some offensive coordinators who don't do anything else but quarterbacks. They, they could not plausibly or, um, what's the right word, credibly go over the receivers and go, yeah, I'm going to coach you now. Satterfield can do that. He's not going to coach wide receivers, but you know there's a tight end spot. Coach tight ends, yeah. Uh, and so there's you know, and he's a, he's a former head coach, so he could do you know. There's a bunch of different things that he could do. So I think you know the question becomes: How do you want your operation on game day to work? Who do you want in the quarterback's ear? How do they process what you're teaching them? And Matt Rule made this comment at his signing day of like, we want our quarterbacks to see the game the way we see it, and think about this, this, and this. And, you know, I asked the question, well, who, who is that person to coach that? And, of course, he didn't want to answer it. But the secondary question that wasn't the time to answer that question because it was signing day is, well, how, how do you want them to see it? And, and how would that be different from, say, what, what they're doing at Washington? Mm. You know, if, if, uh, if Ryan Grubb, for whatever reason, said, I'd like to come and do this for you, would you be like, no, we really need people that understand the way we want to play it with our illustrious record. I, you know, like... Matt Rule has a really strong track record in a bunch of different areas. They run the ball pro style. They play really good defense. Their pass defense is pretty good. They're physical. They generate sacks. Quarterback play isn't probably the thing at the top of the list. And so Dylan Rayola is the kind of player who you really want to maximize. That ceiling is going to be high. And so you have to find somebody who can maximize his ceiling. And that, that to me, means you know considering not only your inner circle, but what the outer circle might look like. And, you know, who's out there? Tony White was out there for the defense. Good hire. Oh, yeah. But there may not be many head coaches in college football who know more about defense than Matt Rule. Like, he knows a lot about it from a lot of different perspectives. And the thing I appreciate about Rule is he knows about what it's like to play defense without five stars because that's what he was doing at Temple and Baylor and frankly Carolina. He was doing it without the advantages that Alabama enjoys, for right. example. Not to say Nick Saban. Nick Saban knows more than anybody. But Nick Saban also, and so does Kirby Smart, so does Jesse Minter at Michigan, they enjoy great talent. Nebraska is never going to get Alabama and Georgia. So talent. So you have to kind of think outside the box, and Rule is able to do that with Tony White. I don't know if 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 the connections at that quarterback position are as robust. It's, that, that'll be something I guess we're going to have to assess and and um, and see what happens. But I do think there's going to be something different. We can talk about this in subsequent weeks too. The NFL regular season is over Sunday night. Then you have Monday, and a bunch of people get fired. Yep, Black Monday. Right. Bunch of people get fired on Monday. Then it takes another week or two to plug coaches in to jobs. National coaching convention. A lot of interviews will be done. I mean, with the NFL. Sure. Like, you don't... I mean, we've we've got a couple jobs open. Vegas, the Chargers. There's going to be a couple of other firings for certain. Ron Rivera's probably not going to survive. Carolina has to hire a coach. I don't know who would want to go work for the guy that just threw drinks on the opposing fans, but 
someone will take the job. There are others that are going to be open, yeah. and that takes time to plug those in, and then everybody kind of does the shuffle thing. And then you have to figure out, okay, now that we've all done the shuffle thing, you know, who goes here, here, and here? Who gets depopulated from college staffs? Are they able to coax Jim Harbaugh to the NFL? If so, does Sharon Moore take it over? The dominoes stop there. If not, does Michigan seriously go outside of that and go hire someone else? Then there's dominoes again. So mm-hmm. we just don't we just don't have a definitive answer for that. And that'll probably affect not only the quarterback coaching deal, but also defensive tackle and other things. And we'll just have to see. Speaking of Michigan, they beat Alabama on, on Monday. Washington then survives its own mistakes and a weird quirk in the rules that I think needs to be fixed to, to beat Texas. They controlled that game almost from start to finish mm-hmm. against Texas. They outplayed Texas. What did you think of those games? I mean, what? they were a blast, obviously. Came yeah. down to the last play and, and everything else. It, I thought the, the Rose Bowl, uh, it was weird to me to see Alabama not control the line of scrimmage. That was, like, we knew Michigan, that was their strength, but, like, I was curious to see how that would translate against the Tide, and they did. Like, they, they got after Milrow, and uh, I know part of that's just kind of how he plays with all the sacks, but, like, you just, you don't see opposing lines uh, dominate on both sides the way that Michigan did. So I thought that was um, that was eye-opening. I mean, they were, they were the better team. And I said on our podcast last time, I felt like that was a spot where Alabama gets in and they rise to the level that they always do and that they were going to go on a run and finish it. And kudos to Michigan, I mean, for responding when they were down early. J.J. McCarthy was a gamer. That little... Uh, that little <laughs> double pass where he corrals it with the one hand and and fires a completion for whatever it was 10 yards or so like that was that was good stuff um and then you know the the washington texas game was a ton of fun too i i agree with you that rule needs to change with the player injury late that saved texas what 30 40 seconds whatever it was um but wow i mean i think that game accentuates the the value of a quarterback Michael Penix, what he did, I think probably top to bottom, Texas was the more talented team, but Washington had the best player. And they they had some, some I thought they had some 2019 LSU vibes just with the deep balls and, and the chemistry between quarterback and receiver. And like, you got you to be able to pass the ball to win at the highest level. And both those teams had that. And um, it was a fun game. I think it, Steve Sarkeesian could take Washington's current team and coach it just as well as Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb have. DeBoer and Grubb are doing an incredible job with that team. Sarkeesian's just as good of a mind and Mm -hmm. just as good of a play caller. I think the problem is at Texas, they don't have Michael Penix, Penix. Mm -hmm. I've heard it both ways. They don't have that guy yet, and he's still hidebound to to play in that game. And if Texas had, had gone into the game and said, we're just going to have a tight end, and we're going to have maybe two tight ends on the field, and we are going to line up under center, and we are going to mash this team. I think Texas would have won the game. I think they have. I think their their head coach is who he is, and they're not going to change. And they could have run the ball. I mean, they did run the ball. Will I don't know how many yards they ran for in the game. Now I'm going to have to look it up. But it was 
I mean, it was it was dang near, you know, it was dang near comical. Mm-hmm. How how easy it was for 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 Texas to run the football, and they didn't commit to it enough. Like, there's just no other way to put it. So Texas runs the ball for 180 yards on 28 carries. Mm. They averaged six and a half yards a carry, and they only ran it 28 times. They threw it 43 times, and they really threw it more than that because Quinn Ewers was sacked a couple of times. But it was bizarre. It was the opposite of what Michigan does. you know. And so, like, by the end of the game, I think Michigan had a little bit of a physical advantage because they had spent so much time and during the game just pounding the ball at Alabama, not gaining necessarily a ton of yards, but by the time the, the back half of the fourth quarter comes, Michigan was stronger. Mm-hmm. And then in the overtime, Michigan's stronger. And it's kind of like a Nebraska thing. That's what Nebraska used to do. If your defense is good enough, then your offensive approach physically will, will win out in the end. Do you have enough time and are you ahead? And, you know, Michigan was down by seven and they had enough time and they were able to win the game. Texas, what's interesting is I think Texas had more physicality and I think they had the better defense. They just didn't play like it. They should have held on to the ball for 38 minutes. They should have walked up to the line, ran it slowly, thoughtfully. They didn't do it. It was and the third quarter. I mean, it was, what, tied at half? And, yeah. And they fell behind by 14. And they fumbled hand, twice. Your you hands know? kind of forced at that point. They fumbled. The, the fumbles hurt them, but... They could have done that from the very beginning of the game. I mean, I, from my perspective, the game really should have, Texas should have been able to control it. They didn't. Washington knows who they are. They do a really good job of controlling the football at the last minute and a half notwithstanding. They run a spread passing offense, but they, they, they walk it up. And it's really effective. And they did a really nice job. The other thing I'll say about the Michigan team is pre-snap, the amount of time and effort that Michigan spent shifting and motioning and moving, that's what it takes to beat Alabama. If you come out there and you don't move guys around constantly and you don't get that group of that group of defenders thinking about what's going to happen, you're not going to win because their athleticism and their ability to react and their ability to play up to the moment is so significant. I feel like Michigan was able, even though they didn't get a, gain a ton of yards, they kept Alabama off balance the whole game. Mm-hmm. They just a little bit. They didn't score a ton of points, but Alabama never had that moment where they just overwhelmed Michigan's offense and sent them back 32 yards. Michigan did that to Jalen Milrow like five times. And I don't know that Alabama was diverse enough. Like, I think that was partially the difference between Jim Harbaugh and Sharon Moore against Tommy Reese. I think it's some of its coaching and some of its quarterbacking. I think J.J. McCarthy's better than Jalen Monroe. I think Jalen is a better athlete. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel like watching the game, I try to, anymore, I don't even root for teams. I just kind of watch it for whatever. I'm like, I just don't think Jalen Monroe got the tools in this game from his offensive coordinator and his quarterback coach. To, to successfully figure Michigan out. And I feel like J.J. McCarthy was given all the tools. Um, and by the end of the game, they had tools. They had answers. Alabama lost those answers. The last play of the game is stupid. Oh, it was ridiculous. And, you know, I actually felt like what, what, you know, coming out of that game and sitting there on my couch, uh, I'm 
like Michigan outcoached Alabama, and that doesn't happen that often. Mm. But they did. And then I thought, again, in the final, in the second game, coaching. I just felt like Washington, that duo, which gets a crap load of money, they make like $9 million combined. Grubbs is, I think, the second highest paid assistant. He's well paid, and he earns it. And you can kind of, they kept going to the box and showing him and his other guy. And I'm like, those guys are totally dialed in. There's no emotion to any of this. They know exactly what they're doing. They have answers on third down. I'm like, this operation is as good as it gets. And I was really impressed with that. And then, you know, the other game that's the other two games, I guess, that stuck out to me is I'm I'm impressed with Oregon. I think they they're unbelievably good. Uh, their talent is just overwhelming. Big Ten favorites, maybe next year. Oh, I think they are. Yeah. Um, although you can't discount Washington because if they if they keep the coaches, they're so well coached. Um, but overwhelming talent on Oregon's and the speed and the athleticism. They made Liberty look bad, and Liberty's not that bad, but they look terrible. They lost forty-five to six, and then you know, I was an embarrassment, and they shouldn't be. They should not go into that game. And I don't know if you watched any of that game. Oh, yeah. But Brock Osweiler was just all over that quarterback. <laughs> it's like, what is he doing? What is he looking at? Where is he, you know, like, why won't he give his receiver a chance? Where is he throwing the ball? Like, he was all over that guy. And I think, again, it's that they don't have a quarterback coach. They don't have, they don't, that quarterback doesn't have the tools. He's not been given the tools. He kept throwing to the same guy over and over. Five yards short of the first down. Right. And I was like, this is embarrassing. This is not... Iowa won 10 games, and of course, Kirk Ferentz comes out, and he's like, let's think about... Let's take a step back and think, oh, come on. You you went and you you, you lost 35-0 to a team that was playing a true freshman quarterback and isn't that good. They're not good on defense at all. And you couldn't move the ball on them. And so, like, I always got this whole, like, they're going to have to reset their identity and all this other stuff. And I was like, I was going to come into this game. You know, they're going to find a way. It's going to be 16-13. It's going to be messy. You know, they're going to figure it out. They're going to money ball their way to maybe a win. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Not, not today. Not this time, no. Nope. They're not even going to move the ball. You know? They're, and, and then the tempo is going to eventually beat them because they keep standing their defense out there to get hammered. So that really stuck out to me, too, is it's like the new Big Ten and the old Big Ten. Mm. Michigan represents the old Big Ten, so does Iowa, and the new Big Ten is Washington and Oregon. I'm like, I don't know. Who do you think is going to win on Monday? Uh, I think, well, if Texas could have run the ball on Washington and won the game, you can bet Michigan's going to run the ball on Washington. And... So I think they've got the advantage at the line of scrimmage. I think Washington has the better quarterback. I think it's going to be a great game, quite honestly. But probably probably Michigan, just because of the line of scrimmage. And, I mean, you talk about a team that knows who it is and what it is, has the chip on its shoulder from the, the sign-stealing stuff. Like, you can tell they, they feel that still. Uh, they're out to prove themselves in a way that maybe not a lot of undefeated teams are at this stage of the game. So... Probably Michigan, but I, I like. I think Washington's coaching is maybe even or a little better. Mm-hmm. I think their skill players are even or a little better. Uh, 
I just don't know about the line of scrimmage. I think that could be the difference. What do you think? Michigan will 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 do some things to Washington to try to put pressure on him, and I think Penix will have to hit you know man to man throws, which he did against. Maybe Texas. he will. Yeah, he, he threw dimes. I mean, he was a dime machine. He's playing his way maybe into a first round grade in the NFL draft, and what keeps him from that sure. is his size. I mean, he's not. You know, there's not many guys who have been his size that that become you know elite NFL quarterbacks. Russell Wilson is one, but but Penix can't run like Russell Wilson. Drew Brees is another. That's what he would have to be. Is that good? That accurate? That good? Well, I'll tell you what. He played. He played like Drew Brees in the Sugar Bowl. He did. That's the best. Let's not get it twisted. That's the best quarterback performance in the history of the college football playoff. Don't talk to me about Joe Burrow throwing to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. And Joe Burrow is the second best. But Joe Burrow was throwing to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Roma Dunze is a nice player. He ain't either one of those guys. And so, you know, Joe Burrow was playing on an all-star team. Penix is not doing that. They don't have those kind of players. It's true. And so that's the best quarterback performance in the history of the CFP. And they still almost lost the game because of some stupid thing at the end that, you know, a rule they need to change. But um, I'll take Michigan to win it. And I think if Michigan wins it, Harbaugh can can do whatever the hell he wants. He can walk away. He'd be hailed, yeah. I think he would walk away. I think he would have an opportunity right then and there to say, I've done what I need to do. You need to hire the Sharon to to take over the team, and I'm going to go coach the Raiders. Maybe so. And that would be a win for a lot of people. It would be a win for the Raiders, who, who need something. And I think it would be okay for Michigan. I, I, I don't know who you put in that job to follow one of the oddest people alive. So it probably would help to just be the guy that's already there and beat Ohio State and all that stuff. But I think in the larger sense, what I'm going to remember from this bowl postseason is, I mean, it's very much in transition with all the opt-outs and it just, you know, this, the, the Georgia – Florida State game. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what it, what happens because you're going to go to a 12 team playoff, which will mitigate the opt outs. Obviously, as teams continue to put their best foot forward, but like what what does the rest of the bowl season even become? Because like we said earlier, like if you're one of the 12 teams that made your goal of making the playoff, great. But like, what about everybody else? Are you going to cut down from from this this bowl uh, overload? Or do Bulls just kind of lean into more of the silliness and, and add edible mascots and mayonnaise dumps and like all the and I think that's cool. That's great for TV programming and and keeps players around. But like, what becomes of the Bulls? Does that trim down? How does NIL factor into the future? Maybe with with player compensation to get them to play in those games. Yeah, uh, I, I think don't know. That might just, have something to do with it. It just very much felt like a year where yeah, this is a system that in all honesty, is held on probably too long as it is yep. and is going to continue to linger in some fashion moving forward. But I think it's going to look different. Next year is going to look a lot different than it did this year. Um, and, and where that goes is really fascinating to me because there's a lot of the old guard loves the bull system. And I think if you were to blow it up and start over, you'd be like, well, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. But how, how they sort of mishmash that and find some middle ground, it'll be fascinating. The Bulls tended to serve a purpose for the cities that were holding, hosting the Bulls 60 years ago. Like that was part of it is, you know, it was an opportunity for Miami and Tempe and Dallas and these other places. Well, now it's it's TV inventory. Mm-hmm. And to be very honest with you, 
I don't think it matters that much which teams are in it, uh, which players are in it, so long if it's if it's a lower tier bowl. I don't think people care that much. You know, I think the Independence Bowl and the Holiday Bowl are kind of going to get the same ratings almost no matter what. Oklahoma and Arizona had, you know, most of the players in there, but not all of them. A lot of these guys have young five-star quarterbacks that are playing. And the 12 teams will have their their rosters protected. You know, those guys aren't going anywhere. So I'm not as maybe concerned about it. I think if they kept going in this four-team direction, it it would get more concerning. You don't want what happened with Georgia and Florida State to occur again. That that that's not helpful. Um, Oklahoma got pounded a couple of years ago. Florida did, or one of them did. Just got humiliated because all their players opted out and went to the NFL. But uh, yeah, I think that would be bad. I don't think that's going to happen again. So I think I watched the Wisconsin LSU game on New Year's Day. Pretty damn good game. It was. Jaden Daniels wasn't in it. Neither was Braylon Allen. And neither were some other good players for Wisconsin, but I enjoyed the football game. It was still football. I mean, yeah, Jaden Daniels would have been fun to watch, but and so would Braylon Allen, but whatever. You know, still pretty good football. Hell of a lot better than Tennessee, Iowa. No and doubt. I think Iowa, I don't know that Iowa had anybody opt out. They just opted out of offense the whole season long. <laughs> Let's talk a little basketball here for a second. Uh, we'll have a half-court press podcast with uh, Wilson Moore and John Walker, so you want to listen to that too. Nebraska men's basketball, you put something out last night about national narrative. All of a sudden, what do you mean by that? Well, I, you know, Nebraska, t- to me, and like I feel like for the last 15 years, I'm the ultimate like casual Nebraska basketball observer. Like, I, there's enough else going on that I just I haven't made a ton of deep dives into it. But I watched the game, uh, almost the entire game against Indiana. And I think it's just the kind of game that if you're if you're on the outside nationally, if you if whatever you know about Nebraska and Indiana basketball, you're always going to assume that Indiana is going to win that game just because of pedigree and track record and all the rest. And it wasn't close. Like Nebraska did not play a perfect game. They didn't come close to really playing a perfect game, uh, and yet they still won going away. And yeah. it wasn't it wasn't in doubt in the last fifteen minutes of the game, twenty minutes of the game, really. I mean, it was it was just really impressive. They looked the part. That's the kind of game that when you're looking at the the scores at the end of the day, you kind of do a little double take. Oh, they beat Indiana, and then you maybe you look at their schedule and you say, oh, they beat Michigan State last month. Interesting. And now you rattled off their schedule coming up. Like, now how do you build on that? Like, that's – it was just – it was – it was it wasn't a game where they shot lights out. I mean, Tominaga had – he was on a heater there for a while. But, like, that's not so crazy for him. I thought uh, Alec was, was really strong down low. Mast had his moments. Gary was really good defensively. And they gave up some size on the interior. So, like, to me, like, they, they, they looked apart. The there are a lot of ways they can beat you, and they play tough defense. That's the thing they've hung their hat on. That's the thing that can travel. That's the thing that can keep you more consistent than just how you're shooting on a given night. So I just was really impressed. And, and Indiana's no, not a perfect team, but they had 10 wins. They were undefeated in the conference, 2-0, coming in. They got so. a guard back. Yeah. So, so I, don't, I, just, I was impressed. Like That's the game over the years that Nebraska doesn't win. Right. 
that's the that's the heat check moment. And they're like, okay. And then you you kind of fade. And they won that game. So it has my interest. I think it has a lot of people's interest after how they performed. I'm probably getting out ahead of my skis here, but I, I really do think they have a chance to beat Wisconsin on Saturday. Wisconsin's ranked. Uh, Wisconsin's, you know, I guess a co-Big Ten favorite at this point, which is strange to me after how they ended last season. But I think Nebraska's got a real chance. I think they match up with Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin doesn't jump out of the gym on you. They execute. They execute. They have Chucky Hepburn's a good point guard. They do a lot of good things. I don't think they can run away from Nebraska. They didn't run away last year. They lost in overtime. And two years ago when they had a Big Ten championship on the line, Mm -hmm. they lost to Nebraska. And Bryce McGowan's didn't play that game. And I think some of it is, I think Fred Hoiberg is a good coach on offense. And we don't we don't pay a lot of attention to it because they've gone to this defensive emphasis. But the Big Ten Network brought it up last night. They're 18 and 5 in their last 23 games. And the reason that they're 18 and 5 in their last 23 games, yeah, kind of defense, but they've really scored really well. And there were times last night when it was Rink, Casey, Bryce Williams, uh, Jawan was on the floor. It didn't really matter. It was Jawan or it was Alec, and it was it was uh, Jamarcus Lawrence. And they had a couple of possessions where it's like, this defense is effed no matter what they do. And the, Indiana covered the first two or three options, and then it's a handoff to Kaysay. He gets around the corner, and he hits a little floater from 11 feet. Mm-hmm. The next time, they cover the first three options. And rinks on that, you know, sort of at that little high, that horn spot. He's not right in the middle of the floor, the where Derek was, but he's off to the side. And, you know, they got a guy that comes around, a guy that comes around. And Casey comes around. He's not open. Rink throws it cross court to Bryce, hits a three. I'm like, there's no way you stop this if they execute this right. And Fred can set some stuff up for this team. And if they can execute it, it's very, very challenging to slow down, and I was like, again, Mike Woodson is a really good defensive coach. Indiana's a good defensive schematic team. They've got some athletes, and they could not figure Nebraska out. And yeah, they didn't shoot the lights out, but if Casey makes four of those, you got to go out there and cover him. Mm-hmm. And you're out there all night then. It's like a guy that catches two deep ones behind you. It's Tyree Kill. Like, if he catches two behind you, it doesn't matter if he catches two more. You're like, well, we gotta go. We gotta go figure that out. And so when Casey hits a couple of those, then all of a sudden the gravity of the defense is like, wow, screw it. We gotta go out there because he's gonna make those. It's like Caitlin Clark, who's you know better, but it's like that. And all of a sudden, then everybody else gets life is easier. And all of a sudden, Jamarcus Lawrence is open and making a shot for once. All of a sudden, Bryce Williams gets an open three. And Bryce Williams on a lot of teams wouldn't get open threes because he'd be their best shooter. Well, it's Casey on this one. So there's so many good things happening right now. I like their chances at Wisconsin. I don't not saying they're going to win. They'll probably be like a six to eight point underdog. But I think they can take that to the final two minutes. And then they play Purdue next week. And, you know, the issue with Purdue is that if those two guards on the uh, Braden Smith and whatever the other guy's name is, if they're making threes, you're not probably going to beat them because they're. They have the best player in the country. He's too good. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want with him. You can double him. You can triple him. But if he passes out to Braden Smith or the other guy, and those guys hit, you know, seven of 14 threes, you're going to lose a game. But if they don't make their shots, 
those guys miss for whatever reason. And then their third score doesn't make his shots. You got a chance. Yeah. That's in Lincoln, one, too. It's the number one team in the country. And Edie doesn't, Edie doesn't fold easily. Like, he's, he's pretty tough. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't have bad games. He didn't have a good game against Derek Walker last year. But, you know, he'll go for 23 and 12. But so did the kid from Indiana, who's a really good player. He is. But the rest of those guys just weren't able to, weren't able to help him out. So you just never know. Uh, I feel like this is a tough stretch. The, the game at Wisconsin on paper looks hard, and the game against Purdue looks unwinnable. Like unwinnable. Like they're not going to win the game. But you just never know. Hmm. And PBA is hard. You know? It is. If they do it on Peacock, does it count? I think the Purdue game's on Peacock. It's on Peacock. It's their first game on Peacock. You imagine they they pull off that upset and like nobody watches it. I think, I think people will will if they beat Wisconsin that you'll get some subscribers. People are like all right, I can also watch The Office. Yeah, uh, Peacock had a very very good first night with Kaylin Clark. Oh, sure, that was that was a good night. Um, side note, we don't we don't talk about Iowa here much, but my wife didn't know who Caitlin Clark was. Hmm. God bless her. She didn't know. And I watch quite a bit of women's basketball. Like that, I, I just do. And she didn't know. And so we're sitting there, and she doesn't really watch basketball. She doesn't like basketball. She likes football and gymnastics. She doesn't like basketball. But she's sitting there, and all of a sudden she starts getting into it. Because it's basically Caitlin Clark against the entire Michigan State team. And when she made the shot at the end, even she was like, oh, my God. And <laughs> Here's the other thing. She was kind of rooting against her a little bit. She's like, she didn't get that shot off. And I'm like, I think she got the shot off. Wow. (laughs) It's just because if you watch 30 minutes of her, what do you see? She complains 12 times about fouls. Now, again, I like Kayla Clark. I respect this. To me, this is like a player that has made a conscious choice to go out every single night and play literally 40 minutes because that's almost what she thinks people expect of her. Like, she doesn't have to play that many minutes. She's leading the Big Ten in minutes. And she's leading the league in shots. Mm. And, like, it's almost like what people are going out there to see is like, all right, we came here to watch you, so we don't want you, we don't want to watch you sit down. It reminds me of something, yeah, Michael Jordan used to say yes. was like he was going to play every night because he knew there was somebody who bought a ticket who was going to be in that arena yes. to see him play. I think yes. there's a sense of that coming from her for yes. sure. I think there is. And she delivers. Most of the time. Consistently. Yeah. I mean, it took her 34 shots to make 40 points. But the <laughs> point is that even the missed shots are an adventure into themselves. And we'll talk more about this when you know Nebraska plays her again and um, but there's just a kind of price of admission there. Like, you're not really going. You're going to go watch a comedian, or you're going to go watch an entertainer at the lead center. That's really what this is. Mm-hmm. This isn't even who wins and who loses the game outside of the Iowa home games. Like, nobody cares. They're just there to say, let's go watch the phenomenon. And, you know, Paige Beckers put on a show at Creighton a couple nights ago. Speaking of Nebraska women's basketball, we'll get out on this. Uh, they had one of the best wins of any Emmy Williams tenure. On Sunday, they beat Maryland. Hard team for Nebraska to beat. Mm-hmm. Hard team to beat in general, even if it isn't vintage Maryland. Uh, they still beat them. And they play Wisconsin tonight. I'm a little worried about that game, for what it's worth, even though Wisconsin's not good. Still worried about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. 
and then they play the pack the PBA game on uh, on Sunday. And want to be able just again to mention, you know, Jordan Hooper is getting her jersey retired on Sunday, and sometimes we do this real world class at UNL, and some people will ask me, you know, who's your favorite person to have recovered? And Jordan Hooper's, you know, number one on the list. Really? Oh yeah. Why is that? Uh, just a really good person, like a really great soul. Wore it easily. Didn't uh, never never put on a airs. Never. You know, I wouldn't call her the best quote I've ever talked to. No. But just like a genuine, pure person hmm. who really uh, was humble, like genuinely humble, and, you know, just played as hard as she could, and all of her teammates liked her. When they ended, I'll never forget this, they lost to BYU in the NCAA tournament. And this was out in L.A., and they were going to come back. If they'd won the game, they were going to come play UConn in PBA. So it was, it was really deflating. Everybody was kind of devastated uh, by this. But on the podium, the two players, it was Jordan Hooper's last game, and she really wanted to go back home and play UConn. You know? It was her last game, and her two teammates were really just focused on the fact that they weren't going to play with her again. And mm. one of them like grabbed her around the shoulders <laughs> on the podium. It was like, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> and it was, it was awkward because everybody was kind of sad, but she was sort of like really, like it was spontaneous joy of just being around Jordan Hooper. And I'm just telling you, that's what it was kind of like. I think their attendance has never quite been the same since she left because I think a lot of people were coming to watch her. Hmm. Like more than coming to watch jazz, more than, and I, I, I jazz show is a great player. Maybe she'll have her jersey up there one day. But like people just wanted to go and watch this one specific player. And I think she had such a following. And when she left, it was just a little bit of a dip hmm. in enthusiasm in the program. And I feel like once she left, there was there was a there was a void. Like that was the perfect player for Connie Yori. And when she was gone, it just didn't quite feel the you know. The same, the star player who who never thought a day of being anything other than you know like the last player of the bench. So hmm. good for her. I think Nebraska will maybe win tonight. That's the win. Might be a weird game. Uh, and then Indiana's a tough challenge on Sunday. So that'll be a tough one. I, I think Indiana's very good, and they're like 900 years old. They have like six-year seniors, 12-year seniors transfers that somehow have three years left, even though they played two. It's just, I mean, they're basically playing like the oldest team in America. And so mm. Indiana's also ranked and very good team. And Nebraska struggles to beat them. They're always very competitive games, but they don't always get it done. Who do you got in the national title game? Michigan, Washington. Michigan. Michigan My for official pick, yeah. yeah. Line of scrimmage. You're already up by two, so... Tom, Tom won. Davis, he's not here to gloat, thankfully. He won, so he's going to have to pick the place where we eat. And then we'll have to give a review of that place. Oh, okay. Can't you wait. Think, you think Nebraska gets a transfer this weekend? Yes. Maybe multiple transfers this weekend. Yeah, I think so. They've already had, I mean, they're on campus uh, as we speak, really. Some of them are. So, yes, I do. Classes start the 22nd at UNL. So there's some... They enroll... Well, the, the players show up a week before. They do. They, they want to get it done this weekend if they ab can. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to be working. I'm there's, sorry. there's some urgency there. I think they'll get the running back. I do too. And I think he could play, like, 
a lot. Although Emmett Johnson held up. We have to be honest about that. He did. He did. Like he didn't play great against Iowa, but nobody nobody played great on offense against Iowa. But he held up. Like he he played and he played well. The best game Nebraska played all year they lost. In my opinion, their best game all year was against Wisconsin. And that was a pretty good Wisconsin team that they lost to. Yeah. That version of Wisconsin, not the version that played three weeks before. But that version, that night, with that quarterback, I mean, Wisconsin kind of found it at the end of the year. You could kind of tell that Morikai figured it out. They were hard to stop. They scored 31 against LSU. LSU's defense sucks. but That was a fun game. You could argue that that was the best game they played all year, and the second best game they played all year was probably against Purdue. Maybe Northwestern didn't play very well against that team that day. Northwestern finished eight and five. Can you believe it? But Illinois too. I'd put Illinois in there. I, they had some turnovers and whatnot, but yeah, they, they played okay against Northwestern. Yeah. I guess. Hmm. I think Purdue's going to be a much better football team next year than people think. Because just kind of like some of the things that they're about. I like their coach. I think they're going to be pretty good on offense. They got good on offense by the end of the year. Um, I think they're going to be a tough team to beat. Hmm. Not tough, but you know, like win seven. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not so high on them. I think they're they're first time head coach. I think he's. I think he's got a little learning curve to go through. Just just my hunch. We'll see. I think they're going to go up. Right now, I feel they're trending up. There's no way Northwestern wins eight games again. No, No not in the new Big Ten. And I, I don't know where Minnesota's going. You know. And that quarterback they got coming in from New Hampshire is about 184 pounds. He better be good. Because <laughs> he's, he's going to get crunched. In yeah. This That's an interesting one with Fleck. Like, he's, I don't know that he's ever been anywhere as long as he's been at Minnesota now. And when you have a guy like that, sometimes, I don't know, that, that messaging can kind of lose its effectiveness a little bit, lose its punch. Yeah. Maybe he'll go to the NFL. We'll see. All right, that is our Pick 6 podcast for this week. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. It's Happy New Year. Chantel will be back next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.